0: Well good morning, everyone. As we move into this sermon this morning, one of the passages that came to mind in addition to the one that Mike just read is a passage that Jesus in which Jesus prayed the night before he died. And he said to his father, Father, may the disciples become one just as you and I are one. It's a prayer of unity that the disciples, everybody who was a follower of Jesus, would emphasize what they had in common rather than what they had different. And I'd like to think that throughout the history of the Christian church, we have been striving to do just that. You know, there's a lot of talk about all the denominations we have in the world today, all of the different faith traditions. But by and large, what I hope we experience is that we have a lot in common, to the point that when you go to a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church or an Episcopalian church or a Baptist church, you might experience in those worship services elements that make you feel right at home. And I think that's the case. Thanks to the ecumenical movement, which started over 100 years ago, uh, the, these denominations have been emphasizing all the things that we have in common common liturgies, common worship elements common doctrine, even the same Bible that we all read from and preach from, to where by and large, you could go to just about any other denomination and experience a lot of similarities, which is what prompts today's big question for the day. It's interesting that all of the questions that we're tackling in this sermon series all emerge from some of the most frequently asked questions that clergy get from people just like you. We started two weeks ago with who is God. Last week it was who is baptism. And among the questions that I get asked the most, perhaps the one that gets asked with most frequency, both from people within the church who have been Methodists all their lives, as well as newcomers to the faith and visitors to Hyde Park, is this one. What is so unique about United Methodism. Why is it that Methodists are such a big deal? (laughs) What is it that is unique about being United Methodist? And so of those questions that we'll be tackling during this sermon series, this seemed like one that uh, was one that we really should tackle together. It's a big question that we hope by the end of this service you will have a short and portable answer to. I have to admit that as I was thinking about how to answer this question, I thought about all of the books that I've read about John Wesley, all the volumes of his sermons, all the myriad of books that I've read about United Methodist doctrine and polity, practice and worship. I thought about the the years that I spent in seminary answering this one question, and it occurred to me, I only have 20 minutes (laughs) to answer that question with you. Well, by now, probably only about 16 minutes or so. So in a sermon that is very tempting to fill with theological jargon and spiritual language and highfalutin terms, uh, we thought that one of the best ways to get this short and portable answer into your hands was through a crossword puzzle. So that's why you have in your insert to your bulletin today a handy crossword puzzle that contains clues statements that will be lifted directly out of the content of my sermon here this morning. And the hope is that as you're listening to me, uh, you will be filling out the answers to those crosswords or that even as you choose not to listen to me, you'll have a handy thing to distract yourself (laughs) throughout the next now 15 minutes of time. Now, uh, some of these terms are long; they're convoluted. Some of them, frankly, are invented. And so, if you're looking for ways to spell them, rather than my taking time out to spell them for you, uh, here's a hint: all of the answers to the crossword puzzle are found on the reverse side of that insert. So, <laughs> if you if you really want to know what these words are, underneath the word search on the back side of that insert, in the upside down box, are all of the answers to the crossword puzzle. So that even if you don't understand a word that I say this morning, you'll at least be able to fill out that crossword puzzle and have in tangible form the short answer to the big question, what is unique? What does it mean to be United Methodist? I'm going to try to boil it down to two answers. A two-part short answer to the question, what does it mean to be Methodist? The first answer that I would give you is that United Methodists, more than any other denomination, are able to take two polarizing extremes, two very different positions on opposite ends of the spectrum, and find a way in the center, a via media, a way through the middle that helps you find a third way, a new way, a way down the center. First, a quick history lesson. John and Charles Wesley were born in the early 1700s, and they were both part of the church called the Anglican Church. They grew up in the Church of England. And the Anglican Church has an interesting history. It was uh, formed and framed mostly by Queen Elizabeth I, who wanted to take the Church of England and create a third way, a way in the middle between the Catholics and the Protestants. Now, this is no small thing. When Queen Elizabeth formed the Anglican Church, she wanted to have the best of both extremes. She wanted to have the high church liturgy and ritual of Roman Catholicism and fused that with the independent spirit of the Protestant church. And when she took both of those extremes, she formed a new way in the center, the Anglican church. And that was the church into which John and Charles Wesley was born. Itself, a third way expression Of two polarizing extremes. Now, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, just like much of England at the time, was formed by a very popular philosophy by a German philosopher named George Hegel. Now, you may have covered uh, his philosophical formula in school or in college at one point, but basically it says this the Hegelian philosophy, which is important here, goes like this Thesis plus antithesis equals synthesis. Now I have to say that slowly because otherwise it won't come out right. Thesis plus synthesis equals, oh, antith- see? I, maybe I'm going too slow. Thesis plus antithesis equals synthesis. It goes like this. First you start with a thesis, a position. It could be a position that you take on any of a number of controversial issues of our day. And then you consider the polar opposite of that position, the antithesis. Now, that's not hard to do because, frankly, you and I know just from reading the headlines of the newspapers today that we have a lot of theses and antitheses in our culture today, right? We have a lot of pro-this and anti-this. And the list could go on and on and on of the ways that we are a deeply divided culture and society today. Pro-life, pro-choice, pro-gay rights, pro-traditional marriage, blue states, red states, pro-gun control, pro-gun rights, pro-war, anti-war, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. The list goes on and on and on. We know... Instinctively, what it means to have a a thesis (laughs) and an antithesis. But here's the difference. Here's the critical next step that George Hegel advocated that was so influential on Queen Elizabeth and eventually on John Wesley. He said, rather than choose between the thesis and the antithesis, a new way is possible. It's called the synthesis, or in Latin, the via media, the way down the middle, right in the center. You take the best of both extremes, you fuse them together into a new way called the synthesis. And this is the formula that Queen Elizabeth followed in order to create the Anglican Church, the best of the Catholic Church, the best of the Protestant Church, and she formed this new third way. And among those members were none other than John and Charles Wesley. And so the Wesleyan movement, and to this day, the United Methodist Church, was born out of this idea of taking the best of two extremes, forging them together, synthesizing them into a third way, a way through the center. All of this had a profound effect on John Wesley. Because in his time, the faith was being polarized by arguments left and right, by doctrinal positions that were threatening to divide the church, but he believed that the best way to negotiate the theological and polarizing puzzles of his day was to find a way down the center of the faith. What is unique about being United Methodist is that we, more than any other denomination, claim and explore and discover the extreme center of the faith. It means that every United Methodist Church, you should be able to find the best of both extremes, a passion for truth on the one hand, doctrinal rightness, thinking the right things, believing the right things, that is also coupled with compassion for people, regardless of what they believe, being warm-hearted to a diversity of people. It means being open on the one hand to salvation and caring about what happens to people after they die and thinking about heaven on the one extreme, but also caring about people while they're living here on earth. Social justice. Caring about people right here in today's time. A balance between heart and mind about having a passionate spirituality, but also thinking intellectually and reasoning through the right things, ultimately between finding a balance between God's grace and human free will. It's one of the hallmarks of United Methodism is that we dare to find a way through the center, even through the challenging, polarizing discussions of our day, And one of the ways that we strive to find that via media is through a unique tool that United Methodists have used for generations, for centuries, probably the longest, most convoluted tool, term you're going to have in the entire crossword puzzle called the quadrilateral. The quadrilateral. If you want to find out how to spell it, flip over that insert. It's right there. (laughs) Quadrilateral means four sides, It means that we use the tools of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. and We find a balance among all four of those angles and positions with scripture being the primary and ultimate authority, but also with tradition and reason and experience, we find that way down the center to help us figure out our positions as a denomination on some of the most controversial issues of our day. Nuclear disarmament, about genetic cloning, about human trafficking, about hu- global climate change, all of the major polarizing issues of our day, rather than simply checking down the boxes of one political party at the expense of another, rather than uh, choosing to identify with all of the human manufactured labels of red state and blue state, we use the quadrilateral. Employed through community and dialogue and discussion among United Methodists, both near and far, we reason it out together, praying through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to figure out what we believe. Now, that's important because it underscores the reality that United Methodists do not have one single person who chooses to speak on behalf of all Methodists. We do not have a president of the United Methodist denomination. We do not have a pope. Instead, we have a committee. A group of people that meets every four years, including this spring in Portland, Oregon, called the General Conference, and it will use the quadrilateral to find that third way in the middle to help us articulate where we stand on a whole host of controversial issues of our day. And if you want to know what those positions are, it's in a portable document called the Social Principles. It's one of the pieces of the Methodist Church that I am most proud of because it is the product of communal discernment and the move of the Spirit and a way for us to not fall prey to either of the extremes that are tearing our culture apart. And perhaps there is no greater polarizing force than the one discussion that tends to to rip us apart at the seams more throughout the history of the church than the question of God's grace versus human free will. Back in Wesley's day, that was the issue more than any other. that was tearing at the seams of the Protestant church. On the one hand, there was a question of God's providence and omnipotence, that nothing can happen in the world without God's power and provision. But on the other hand, there were people who wanted to believe in the capacity for human beings to choose and to have free will, to choose whether or not they're gonna be saved or not. And you can imagine the furious arguments back and forth between the people who believed in God's providence and people like John Wesley who wanted to believe in human free will. And the moment he said something like, well, you know, I believe human beings have a say into whether or not they're saved, the people on the other side would go, oh, but, it's, but that's a work, Wesley, The moment you choose to be saved, that becomes a work that is necessary for salvation, therefore undermining God's providence and power. And that that was an issue that was tearing the church apart. So in true Hegelian synthetic methodology, John Wesley found the via media, the middle way that embraces both God's power and God's grace, as well as the human capacity to choose. And this gets to the second, and I believe the most important, distinguishing factor of United Methodism. And that is an emphasis on God's grace that gives us the ability to participate in our own salvation. You know, there are a lot of churches and denominations that really emphasize the moment in time in a person's life when a person is saved. They'll ask a person, when were you saved? And oftentimes they're looking for some dramatic epiphany that happened at an altar call in some revival when they gave their life to Jesus and prayed the sinner's prayer. And a skeptic might take a look at that moment and say, well, that, that happened when a person did something to be open to God's grace in a new way. Well, John Wesley would then take that whole argument and say, you know, it's not necessarily a moment in time in which a person is saved. In fact, the process of salvation for John Wesley occurs throughout an entire person's life. It is a lifelong journey of grace not just a single moment in time, but from the very moment that a person is born, God's grace is working in that child's life, which by the way, is why we baptize babies. We don't wait for a baby to grow up old enough to figure it all out and profess their faith in Jesus Christ before we baptize them because we believe that it's not humans who do it, who choose Jesus. It is God's grace that works in a, in a person's life from the very beginning. And that grace, by the way, that grace that comes before our ability to understand it or recognize it is called God's prevenient grace. It's a uniquely Wesleyan term, pre meaning before, venient meaning come. It is that grace that comes before we are able to recognize it. And you think about your own life, about the various ways that God's been working in your life, even before you were able to recognize God's love for you. It, it for you could have come at the earliest memories you have of a mother's love or a father's touch. It could have happened in your adolescent years when you stared up in the sky or in the darkness of your room and you wondered if there was something more about your life than what you were living It could have happened in the midst of a crisis early in your adult years when you were looking for some way out of your suffering, and all of a sudden this comforting notion that had to do with the church and with the Christian faith started to work its way into your life. Even before you were able to come to a saving realization of Jesus, God was working in your life. Wesley called that the prevenient grace of God. Now, there was a moment for Wesley in which a person does claim for himself or herself the Christian faith as their very own, and it is the grace of God called the justifying grace of God that makes us right with God. Now, for us, most of us here in the Methodist church, we believe that happens in seventh grade at the age of confirmation. But for many other people, including many folks in here, that justifying moment happened when you came to that realization that you needed Jesus in your life. But even your ability to choose Jesus was not your work. But it came because of God's justifying grace that enabled you to choose Jesus. You see, that that was the via media for Wesley. You have the prevenient grace, you have the justifying grace, and then you have the rest of your life ahead of you, in which Jesus is slowly but surely fashioning you more and more into the image of Christ. And that work of the Holy Spirit is the work of God's sanctifying grace, sanctifying meaning making you more and more holy into the image of God. So there you have it. Rather than asking people at what moment in their life they were saved, United Methodists like to point to a whole lifelong journey of grace. The prevenient grace, which works in our lives from the moment we're born. The justifying grace, which works in us at the moment that we become right with Jesus. The sanctifying grace of God, which helps work out the rough edges and make us more and more like Christ. Prevenient, justifying, sanctifying are not only the hallmarks of United Methodism, they are three answers to your crossword puzzle this morning. But I think those are the most important factors that distinguishes us from all other denominations. You know, Paul, in the Apostle Paul, in the scripture passage that Mike read for us today, said that there is no greater thing, no greater distinguishing factor than for the love of God to be shed abroad in human hearts. And brothers and sisters, regardless of what denomination people choose to be a part of, regardless of what other theological jargon or terminology we choose to anchor our beliefs in. There really is no more important thing than this, than for God's love to be shed abroad in your hearts. That's why for John Wesley, that was his one of his favorite passages in the whole Bible, Romans 5, chapter 5, because it is the love of God shed abroad in your hearts that makes all the difference in the world. And so in keeping with how we finish all of our sermons here during this Short Answers to Big Questions series, I want to offer you this short and portable answer to the big question of the day. Here in 60 seconds, what is a Methodist? A Methodist is one who believes that salvation is a lifelong journey. We have been saved by God's grace even before we knew it and will continue to be saved in the image of Christ our entire lives. Methodists believe in finding a third way through polarizing extremes, caring as much about what happens after we die as much as we do about how we live. We believe in faith and reason, in truth and compassion, in God's grace and human free will. We believe that we can disagree about all of the non-essential things as long as we agree on the one main thing, which is that God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts, and it is our task as the United Methodist Church, with warm hearts and open minds to make that love real in the world. (laughs) Let's pray. God, what a big question this is. Made bigger by our human tendency to divide from one another. Forgive us, O Lord, for schism, for division, for the way that we label one another based on our differences. We know that as Jesus prayed in the garden, that you desire for all of us to be one, just as you and the Son are one. But God, help us to be proud of what it means to be Methodist, not in a cavalier or condescending way, but with certainty and clarity about what it means for us to be an open-minded and warm-hearted people, especially in a time that's so divided. Help us to negotiate that via media in the ways that we live. Help us to depend on you and your grace to make the best choices for ourselves, but in all things, help us to be a people of love, a people who have been first loved by you and now a people called to love one another. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so in response to God's grace, we invite the ushers to come forward as we wait upon you for this morning's tithes and offerings.